see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley. Today, we dip into the science of communication and how the way we communicate influences everything from sales, communication with your boss or employees, and even conversations at home with the family. Before you click off this pod thinking, whoa, I didn't sign up for a science podcast, trust me when I say that Jeff Bloomfield, who was the first person in his family to graduate from college, has made a career out of teaching others what he's learned about the biology, psychology, and physiology of the brain. I assure you, Jeff takes these complex topics and simplifies them, revealing that most people communicate with their customers using the wrong information, in the wrong way, at the wrong time, and in the wrong order. Let's have a listen. So with all the fancy introductions out of the way, I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Jeff Bloomfield. Welcome, Jeff. Thanks, Sean. Happy to be here. So you just gave a fascinating talk at PMMI's annual meeting about, you know, neuroscience and selling success. And I guess the kind of kickoff, the, the part that really um, caught my attention, it was very interesting, was a um, story that you told about your grandfather. And I feel like that was kind of a theme that ran through throughout your talk, which really centered around problem solvers kind of, you know, ruling the world. So how do you feel that that's kind of something that you took as someone that you, how did you describe yourself from the holler? Blue collar from the holler. Blue, blue collar from the holler. How, how, do you, how do you feel that that problem solving model took you from there to, you know, this heights of, you know, teaching about neuroscience and things like that? Yeah. And I get that question a lot around, well, are, are people born you hear the question a lot, are you born a great leader? Are you born a great communicator? Are you born a great storyteller? And I don't think the answer to that is yes. I think all of those folks are made. Now, are you influenced strongly in your upbringing and your environment? Of course, of course you are. You know, from my papa being a great storyteller and a great communicator and a great teacher to my father and my uncles who sat around telling stories, mostly lies about their fishing expeditions, right? Right. Growing up around that idea, my brain was being activated without realizing that I was mesmerized by how these guys and, and, and gals communicated. So I think it's not about, though, you can have that environment and still be a terrible communicator, right? And your personality style does play a role in it. Are you introverted or extroverted? By the way, just because you might be an introvert doesn't mean you can't be a great storyteller. In fact, some of the best communicators I know are introverts. What makes a great communicator or a great storyteller is someone who has this just intuitive ability to recognize who they're communicating with and understanding their perspective, Mm -hmm. even if you're just projecting what you think might be their perspective. Mm -hmm. When you communicate, so Sean, if I communicated with you about everything I care about, 
you're going to tune out and gloss over. We all know, those listening know, go, go to a happy hour at any bar and just randomly introduce yourself to a stranger and ask them what they do. You don't care in five minutes. <laughs> right. So, so part of it about being a great communicator, and I think growing up in that environment was, yes, I was predisposed to storytelling as a mode of communication, but I wasn't great at it. I had to learn the skill of being a good communicator. And it wasn't until I started studying the science of human behavior that I recognized there were patterns. And those patterns mattered to how people receive that information. And that's, that's the part that I, from that, that kind of pivots to, to, that really caught my interest is you went from, like you said, blue collar from the holler, you know, graduate from college, and you, you kind of went like a, a bio kind of science-y sort of background, which is not what I would expect to see at an annual meeting talking about sales. So how, how does that pivot from where you're solving problems um, around, you know, cancer drugs and things like that to speaking now on, you know, how the brain works and, and how that's going to apply to sales? Yeah, I'm going to say something very controversial to all sales people and sales leaders that are listening. There's no such thing as sales. There's no such thing as selling. There's only buying. That's fair. No, I, no, think about it. Mm-hmm. no, that's fair. The way you- if your mindset is one of selling, you've already lost. Your mindset on the sales side of business has to be one of serving by solving. If you serve by solving and that's your approach and that's your mindset, guess what happens? You get more sales. People buy from you more often. Things they're already going to buy. They just choose you. To do that business with. So let, let me come back to one thing you said. I want to make sure this is that everyone get, gets this. The reason you said it was kind of interesting. Here you are with this neuro background and biotech background, and here you are at a PMMI sales event. Mm-hmm. Sales is nothing more than a, a mode of communication. I, I, I love communication effectiveness. That's what I love. I love how humans communicate in order to elicit change, in order to build trust, in order to make a difference in other people's lives. Sales just happens to be one of those channels that the vast majority of the world has to participate. Yeah, and it's funny because you, you touched on it earlier where you said, you know, you could be someone that tells stories that's not an extrovert. And people are usually surprised that I'm usually identified when I take all the Briggs Myers and all the things like that as an introvert because I do these things and I speak. Um, to me, it's a lot of work to have to do the communicating versus I see people who are in the sales field, like you said, uh, even though we're not, we're dismissing that that exists, but I understand in sales that, that seem to relish that communication. But it seems like what you're saying is the ability to, or the, the, the thing in your head that's making you want to communicate doesn't necessarily make you a effective communicator or someone who's going to be good at for what we're discussing, sales. It's something that instead is, is something that you have to focus more on the person that's buying and the person that you're listening. So I guess the, the bigger skill is listening more than communicating. Yeah, in sales, that's obviously a, a skill that's woefully inept for most people. Right. But it's because of, again, our training and remembering that our brains are wired for self-preservation. So for an introvert, not to go too far down this rabbit trail. I'm not an introvert. You are. Mm-hmm. For most introverts that I know, the self-preservation activation is, like, I just, I don't, I don't need to be out there. The more I talk, the more my brain fears I might say something stupid or something that's not being received with the excellence and the intelligence that I feel like I understand personally. And I'm, I'm 
broad brush generalization. No, it's funny you say that because you touched on vulnerability. And when you said that, that's exactly like I saw that and I was like, yeah, that's exactly something that holds people back from. So, okay. So as an introvert, if I'm in a sales role as an introvert and I over communicate, I over talk, I feel t- I, my brain is on high alert. Self-preservation is activating and it doesn't, it's so uncomfortable to your point. I feel exhausted after even a 10 minute interaction with a, with a prospect. Now introverts that become really comfortable in their own skin as an introvert, they learn how to recognize that they can be a teacher. And so they can actually present visual storytelling techniques, pictures, storyboards, and ask questions to your point of what the prospect interprets of what they think inside their quiet mind as an introvert. And suddenly they're in a conversation that's very engaging to both parties. And they didn't realize all they did was tweak slightly their approach to that conversation. Their stress level went down. And so did, by the way, the customer stress level, prospect stress level. And that's why introverts that understand this and then they can they can actually communicate from their own place of authenticity. They're amazingly effective in sales because no one actually perceives them as trying to sell them something. Very interesting. Now, there's that another thing that really caught my eye was a lot of um, you focused on a, or it might even have been something that just caught my eye in, in the way that it, it was repeated on a slide um, was the word believe. Um, and it may be, I don't know if you've watched the show, Ted Lasso, but it's a big, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so do I. And it's such a, that's initially what caught my eye about that and, and how that kind of runs through it. But that believe, it, I guess if you could just speak more to that, it just seems like it, that kind of clicked in my head is making sense, especially as you tie it to communicating, uh, being a world-class communicator, and then, you know, vis-a-vis for this, for, you know, sales that, I guess, just believing what you're saying or belief in, I guess, could you touch on that a little bit more? Yeah, I was taking it there from the perspective of the questions subconsciously that prospects are asking themselves about you. Mm-hmm. But you bring up a great point and I didn't have time to get into it today. You act, are actually asking yourself the same questions about yourself. Am I a trustworthy person? Do I actually care about what this person cares about? Now, you're not consciously asking these questions, but you certainly wouldn't communicate most salespeople the way they are. Do I understand their business well enough to where they would think I cared about what they care about? If I believe that those things are important, believe those things are important, then my behaviors will reflect that in the way that I communicate. And like I said at the end, the intensity of that belief will drive the consistency of that behavior. But what happens for most salespeople is our self-preservation overrides. It overrides. And so then we, we activate our highest level of training, as I mentioned, which is our own knowledge of our products, specs, features, benefits, et cetera. And that's what comes out under stress. And so the question is, and, and, I, and I pose it to the group today, what do they believe about the way they communicate? Do they believe the way they communicate today is the optimal way to communicate for success? If the answer is, yeah, I do, because, you know, I'm self-preservation and why would I say I don't believe that? Because I'm admitting that I'm not a great communicator. Well, I don't tell them that they're wrong. I show them the science behind what great communication looks like and then ask them, do you believe the way you're communicating aligns with the way the science now dictates that great communicators communicate? If you answer the question, yes, great. You probably enjoyed my intellectual entertainment today and go about your way. But if even one small subconscious iota of your brain says, I don't do all that that way. I didn't tell them they were wrong. I just showed them through science and then gave them a path to go on their own and try to think about maybe that belief is I could be a little bit better 
And that's where change starts to happen when people are choosing it versus somebody forcing it upon them. Which, as you're saying that, I'm thinking it goes back to something that you said very early on in your presentation about the way that we learn. Um, and I think it's very particular to, to um, at least in the U.S., I don't know if it's like this, the way that we're educated is memorized and sort of regurgitate and, and then we, we move on to the next grade and we get to the end. And, and it's not a lot of that type of critical thinking that you're talking about or that you know, problem solving, things like that. Is that something where the hope is something like this sparks? Because what I think you're speaking to from that selling standpoint or the person that is the seller that doesn't think that way is, well, this is the way I was trained. So if I was trained to do it this way, this is correct. I'm this successful. You know, what are you going to tell me that's different? Because I passed all my grades. I got good grades. But going back, how do you how do you sort of undo that box that you've sort of put yourself in just based off of you know education and things? Yeah, that's a tough one. And we talk about this a lot. Is we didn't get into the cognitive biases just because of time today. The confirmation bias is such a powerful. The driving motivator to resist change because right. you know our brain if you don't know what confirmation bias is is that you believe something because it's been either taught to you or you experienced something a certain way and it, it formed a belief around it and no matter what information is presented to you that's contrary to that belief you will not change because you're you're only looking for information that confirms what you believe and that's so prevalent in our culture today look no further than our politics right mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's prevalent in all areas of, of our lives. So the, the challenge there is a communicator who's trying to elicit change in another human being. Again, I keep going back to, I cannot tell you, you should change. I can't even tell you that I have information that will tell you that what you're doing is not as effective as what you'd like to do. I can only show you what I'm discovering and about my change journey and allow you the, the process to go, well, if I did that, I'd probably be better as well. You, you have to actually change that belief. I can't change it for you. You have to choose it. It can't be forced upon you. That's why you see so many people resist so many things from authority figures these days. Because right. they've been wrong so many times that now when it comes across, like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I already know that if it's coming from this source, it can't be right. So I've already formed a belief there, and which is why we get so much strife in our communities right now and in our culture. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel, and the way you're talking about it just sounds very Jedi mind trick. Like you need to, to get the person to believe it versus telling them that, which again, makes complete sense when you explain it. I don't know that I could then go out and re-explain it the way you just did. But just thinking again, I know we're, we're sort of touching on a, on a sales type thing where you're a successful salesman who's made a lot of money. This guy's going to come in and tell me that, you know, I need to do it this way. Um, Clearly, he's wrong. I don't need to listen to this. And I guess that's the barrier that I'm, I feel I don't know that you would have to be that concerned with it because you're very successful yourself. But I'm thinking just from the interplay of trying to maybe even teaching a younger person that's just coming up that this is how to do it to kind of crack that code of, you know, just because it was successful doesn't necessarily mean it was correct. It was that this is the great paradox I think in sales is so many people have been successful over the course of their careers in sales. Mm -hmm. And many of times you would look at them and they would almost be that they had opposite behaviors or some of the stuff that the science would, would, would predicate is necessary. That's kind of what I'm, right. I'm thinking. And the answer is, is, well, did they get lucky? No. 
Did they just happen to find customers who were right for making a decision? Many times. Though what they're doing, as I mentioned today, is many times they'll do a lot of the right things intuitively, but not always intentionally. So they don't do it consistently. So you look at a great salesperson, someone who closes at 30%, let's just say, depending on the industry, they might look at them and that's a Hall of Fame. That's like they major league baseball, right? You go into the Hall of Fame, you bat 300. That means they lost seven out of 10 times. Right. So we don't look at it the other way. We think, well, that man, they, they have such a high closing rate in our industry. Even if they have 50% closing rate, that means that they actually get told no half the time. So the question really isn't, well, they've been doing it a different way and been successful. What we have found when we evaluate experienced veteran sales professionals who have been successful in a variety of industries, mm-hmm. they've created intuitively through trial and error an approach that mirrors a lot of the science that we've now validated. Okay. They've mirrored it. They just don't, they don't do it all the time. And when you look at the 50 or 60 or 70% of the time they get told no, they didn't do it. They, they went outside of, we never measure those, right? We never see those. We just tell them, hey, mirror Larry. Here's Sean. He's closing to 30%. Do what he does. And then people watch him and, he, and they start doing things he does in the 70% that he does wrong. And then they go, well, I don't know why it's not working for me. You're doing the, you're emulating Sean in the wrong, when he struck out, not when he hit the home run. Very interesting. Because I, I, as you're saying that, I was thinking, you know, I don't know why my brain, but it went to the, you know, the guy or girl in the bar that, you know, is just going to ask every person. And eventually, like you said, <laughs> you're going to find someone of the, you ask 10, 20, eventually someone's going to say yes. And you're going to be like, this guy always has, or this woman always has, you know, uh, uh, someone on their arm. And well, yeah, if you're going to, if you're going to go that many times, eventually you're going to hit it. So I get exactly what you're saying from that, from that standpoint. And that's an interesting way of, of sort of, you know, uh, framing it. I guess. Now you can go for the volume deal, right? Exactly. Now, I, I have a friend in college who used to say it all the time, 10% more guts will get you 100% more dates. <laughs> well, what's the quality of those dates you get, right? And it's not necessarily, then you're literally, that's the typical, I'm just going to keep throwing stuff against the wall in hopes that it sticks. Whereas we believe is it's, it's like shooting something with a shotgun versus a sniper rifle. When you really understand the science and you really understand how to communicate effectively, you can be a sniper and you're really, really accurate most of the time versus just spraying and praying, which is what a lot of salespeople do. Yeah. And I think that also puts a, in in today's culture, I feel like, and especially in our industry, it's it's really becoming a, a situation where relationships are very important because it becomes more of a partnership. Like you're buying from, from this, uh, you know, seller of equipment and, you want to be able to keep going back to them or working with them throughout it, whether it's for training or things like that. So it seems like from that, like you said, sniping approach, you're, you're establishing because you understand the, the science of it, even if it's subconsciously, you're building more of a relationship versus a one-time deal or a, I'm going to get this huge order. And then next time I go back, they go somewhere else. Yeah. And a lot of salespeople, they operate, unfortunately, with commission breath. And they can't help it because they've been trained that way. So they communicate that way to get that one-time PO. And they don't have a long play. And in this industry, now I don't want to say this industry is a little different because everybody's sales cycles are a little longer. You're not walking in the door. Mm-hmm. You know, typically. Right. And so you've learned, if you've been here even longer than a day as a salesperson in this industry, that you're in for the long game. So if you're in for the long game, you have to earn the right to that first deal through the trust building process. But if you get it and then you... I think it was brought up in the session today. And, and you earn that right through the trust you've created with that customer. They give you your first opportunity. Then will you deliver the promise that you promised them? And if you do, the relationship goes a step further. And over time, they become a lifelong customer.
customer because they absolutely trust you. There's trust that can be initiated instinctively in the first engagement. Right. And then there's trust that then gets built and ingrained over time with through repetitive experiences with a person. Yeah, and I think you've sort of, and this might be not exactly what you were referring to at the time, but you noted out that um, a lot of people will go in and establish these trusts and then the person ends up buying from whoever offers, or, or everybody goes in with the same plan and they end up buying the, the cheapest or the lowest deal. Whereas if you establish more of this long-term trust, that's not necessarily how the- And that's the thing that I would you know, like to leave everybody with is, what is your highest level of training? Is it your products? Is it who you rep? Is it your the speeds and feeds? Is it all of that? Or is it your prospect and customer's business? It sounds like a simple question. Now, one doesn't have to be greater than the other, but we have to at minimum be. And, and when we teach people that when your highest level of training becomes your prospect's business, you will sound like. And so when you're communicating with them, they go, hmm. Subconsciously, you start to sound like a consultant with them not a salesperson to them. Right. More like, a, yeah, it is more like a partnership versus a, you know, not even a combative, but like a, I'm coming to sell you something. I have to be prepared and put my guard up type thing. Yeah, you become an expert right. to them and they recognize that you get their business and you get their role. You understand their goals. They've said, these are my goals. I agree with those. Yes, that's what I'm trying to do. Then you're an expert at the threats and the risks and the problems and challenges that might prevent them from getting from the base camp to the top of the mountain. And then once they see that you're that kind of an expert, they really are interested in your recommendation for how you can help them. And in this case, in my analogy, you get to be the Sherpa, yeah. right? You get to help them up the mountain. Right. You're not like, hey, let me hitch, hitch on to my Caribbean and I'm going to drag you to the top, right? That's what a lot of salespeople try to do. That's a perfect way to sum it up. And, I, and I, you've already given us plenty of time on the stage and I appreciate you giving us an additional, I guess, 20 minutes or so to come on here and, and share some more insight on, on what you brought here to the annual meeting for maybe some people that couldn't, couldn't be here. So I would just want to thank you again, Jeff, for taking time to come on the podcast with us. Oh, you're welcome. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.